In a world where modern media pushes the bounds of imagination, two men embark on a journey to discover lost heroes, daunting villains, and heart-wrenching conflict. Join them in their quest in the never-ending narrative. Well, hey guys, this is uh, episode number six of The Never Ending Narrative. I'm Matt Yeager. And I'm Pat Osmick. And we wanted to come to you today to talk about technology. 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 What is it? It, it is, well, we're using technology right now uh, to record our voices and send them out to other people who, you know, would like to listen to it. Hopefully. So, thankfully, not all of you are sitting here in this room right now with us. In fact, it's just the two of us. Yep. Just the two of us. Not like that. We can make it if we try. Sorry. That was, I always have to do that. <laughs> um, but specifically today, we're going to talk about technology being used in fiction, in stories, uh, helping to use, the, to tell the story. Um, sometimes they're used in, in less... Uh, in less dramatic ways or mm-hmm. like in, yeah, in less useful ways, they're kind of, uh, you use the term window dressing. I did. And I think that just kind of describes it perfectly. Uh, so we're going to start off right away into the topic because I don't have any, do I have any stories from this week? Do you have any stories from this week? Oh man. Uh, I, I was able to talk to, so I've been in a little festival of plays this, uh, this last weekend yep. and this weekend. Um, and they are, so the festival is to celebrate playwrights who are not necessarily up and coming. Like they're just starting out, like they're aspiring playwrights and which is, which is a fun idea and very noble. Uh, unfortunately though, people who start out as playwrights and I think maybe, maybe label themselves as playwrights before they should, they don't write very good plays. Hey, everybody's got to start somewhere. They do. And I, and I want to keep appreciating that. But when you have to act this out in front of an audience uh, and you have to follow the script, uh, you sometimes find yourself wanting to very much apologize on stage to the audience (laughs) instead of acting it out. Uh, But I am very thankful because this has allowed me to get uh, to like in different groups of of theater around town. Um, I've been able to meet new people, which is always fun for me. And find out what they know about theater because it's guaranteed to be more than what I know about theater because I don't know anything. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to to the experiences that it, this has brought. But uh, so last night we we finished off the night. The audience literally did not laugh the entire night. Wow! Not even during like the like. So it's a bunch of different plays. Some of them are, they take themselves more seriously and are kind of creepy and, you know, stuff. So people will sometimes awkwardly laugh. Just nothing. There is, there was not a reaction in the night. Um, it ended up that the director in the, in the sound booth and back was the only laughter that we heard. Um, I think he was trying to get the audience going. They weren't having it. Wow. Uh, and so the story ends up with us looking at each other and like, let's, let's just go get some food and some drinks. Yeah. Uh, Try to forget that happened. Yeah, and the director was kind of down. Uh, he wasn't too excited, so we, we wanted to cheer him up, so we took him over to Pizza Shuttle 
which oh, nice. here in Milwaukee is kind of like a college pizza hangout. Uh, I've way past college age. And so for me, it, you know, I, I guess I could see the appeal for like young college cause it wasn't like the deal for me. You yeah. know, um, have you ever been there before? Uh, once or twice. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It, it was, you know, we had a good time. So, uh, that's not really a story, but it happened. It happened. So there it was. It was a story. Yeah. Um, let's jump into the topic, Pat. <laughs> All right. Uh, so the, the first part of technology, uh, the, the one that, oh, so a good one that you were talking about is technology that solves problems in fiction. Yeah. I think that's probably like the most straightforward thing of when I, when I think about technology and mm-hmm. how it's used in stories, I think about how it can be used to further the story and solve a problem or allow a story to happen that otherwise wouldn't. Um, I think one of the, the best examples would be faster than light travel um, mm-hmm. in any sci-fi story that you set out in space and, you know, you've got multiple planets and traveling between them. Um, well, the realities are if you're talking about a universe that's even similarly like ours, the, the distances involved are mind numbingly ginormous. Yes. Like you don't even realize how big they are. And so you've got to figure out, okay, if I want to get from planet A to planet B, how do I do that within the normal lifespan of a human being? Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to do it somehow. And so we've in- invented all of these different faster than light travel technologies, whether it's warp drive in uh, Star Trek or it's wormholes or it's, um, you know, whatever. You know, we've got all sorts of different faster than light, you know, technologies that we use to oh, we're just going to zip to this other planet and then the story can keep going. There's actually even a uh, travel device that even goes plaid. There is. If you remember that. (laughs) That's an old reference. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, so I think part of it you alluded to as well is that the audience necessarily doesn't want to sit here and think about how vast that distance is. You know, if we're going Mm -hmm. through the story... And you got to get from point A to point B. And we know that you have to do that. Like you don't want necessarily like, uh, is his name Neil deGrasse Tyson, like coming yeah. up and explaining to you, uh, <laughs> mathematically how vast the universe is. You just kind of want it solved and you, but you want it solved in a, in a pseudo believable way. Mm-hmm. And so they've come up with ways to do that. Right. Um, and, and, and yeah. And I think it depends on the story that you want to tell. Yeah. Cause sometimes it's like, okay, I want to tell this space opera with gallivanting across multiple planets. And, you know, we're just going to use this technology as a way to make that story happen. But there are other times where I think it is really interesting when you take maybe some of those realities of the vastness into it. Like I've talked before about how in Ender's Game, I really loved how space travel worked Mm -hmm. because while, yeah, they did invent some technology that's not in a, available today that allowed them to accelerate up to basically really close to the speed of light, they still took in those relativistic effects. And so when you travel to a different planet, a generation or more would pass for everyone else. Right. And so it brought some of that vastness of the universe back in and you realize, oh, there's consequences here. And that's a really interesting concept. Um, And so... I, I think it, it depends on the story of, you know, how much you want to wave your hands and have technology solve for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that people uh, 
should be mindful of that when they're when they're writing these things so that they mm-hmm. can find a good balance between the two. Right. And you see people uh taking taking everything in that spectrum uh from like oh we just get there to you know uh we've got faster than life travel we talk about the technology we talk about how it works and whatnot mm-hmm. um there's even like uh, closer to the describing on on how long it actually would take us you know there's a lot of people who integrate now cryogenic sleep mm-hmm. into this technology like well yeah we're going pretty fast but it's still going to take a long time so you know these people have to be preserved while they're on this trip yeah you know uh and the interesting part about this stuff is this also adds new things to stories new questions to be asked new stories mm-hmm. to be made because of it yeah um i mean when you especially when you get a little bit you know nerdy you start watching like the star treks like they they explore well what what if we actually met up to or got you know faster oh no well they they do go faster than light yeah Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, there's, uh, how about if we push the boundaries of that? Like we push even what we already know, like what's going to happen to us Yeah. Uh, and all these things. Um, I personally, my, my favorite, uh, justification to those or explanation of those mm-hmm. is when, uh, when spaceships drop out of like reality, like, uh, they go into subspace, Yeah. you know, they go into like these these channels of of you know not really reality and then mm-hmm. they come back in at a different point yeah because it adds a little bit more fantasy a little bit more mystery to me oh, okay yeah uh, yeah i guess i i kind of liked a little bit more mysterious than the fully explained you know sure um and and some of that can be good because sometimes you don't yeah, sometimes the thing that you need for your story is you want to create a world that is so other than than our own that you you don't want the the more things that are not similar the better. Yes. And so that can be really good for the story that you want to tell if you want to have it completely be different. I'm surprised we actually n- neither of us have thought of this especially you because you've watched it more than I have, but how about technology where you actually just take two steps and you're in the exact place that you wanted to be across the universe. Oh, Stargate. <laughs> yeah, Stargate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you watched Stargate way more than I did. I did, yeah. My actual experience with Stargate, a little bit tangent, was uh, I would when I was in high school, I would fall asleep to listening to the radio. And here in Milwaukee, I think it was like 88.9, you could listen to a, an actual TV station, um, mm-hmm. but just obviously the audio. So I would randomly make wake up in the middle of the night to their late night showings of Stargate. <laughs> and so my Stargate experience is more audio than anything. <laughs> Which is fascinating. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had enough visual, like I've seen enough episodes where like I could visualize it myself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyways, uh, so that technology is kind of like a combination of different things. Uh, mm, you've yeah. got this mysterious, like, how does it work? It also kind of... Uh, I don't know if it necessarily goes against what we were talking about because it, it is just a, oh, we just justified this. You got a big circle, you step in it, and you're good to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and and I think that's true. I mean, they're not that – Stargate usually doesn't focus on the technology. Right. I mean, they're trying to tell a story of – okay, we're, we're telling this story of this new alien race that we found this week and getting into their backstory and finding mm-hmm. all of about them and so the stargate is just a way to help that discovery to happen sure um uh 
so yeah, I, I think it serves that purpose. Although there are times when I think Stargate did get into uh, more of a harder science fiction to talk about some things, specifically when you talk about the replicators. Uh, I remember them vaguely. Okay, so it's been a long time, but basically the replicators are... Um, basically a mechanical, you know, race. Okay. They're just these uh, small, tiny little um, uh, things that um, basically all they do is make copies of themselves. They find sand or silicon and they they copy. And they're tiny little building blocks that all come together and interconnect, you know, on the fly to create whatever they want to create. Mm -hmm. And so they can have basically all these tiny little almost sentient Lego blocks that come together to build a spaceship or to build um, this little crab-like thing that, you know, you know, goes everywhere and they can interface with your ship and take it over and mm-hmm. do all these things. But it's, uh, you know, it's a technology and a cool thing, but to, to talk about the idea of, because um, I think they were created by one of the alien races as sure. like a useful machine or something totally like went sentient got out of control is now like threatening to destroy the universe Mm -hmm. it's so it's it's one of those stories where it goes into um the dangers of technology and man's creation and man going too far in creating something that could be dangerous which is quite a popular theme Mm -hmm. uh these days i i know we've also mentioned it back in our post-apocalyptic episode Mm -hmm. uh, about technology uh, moving so far forward that it's actually harmful to humanity mm-hmm. than helpful. Uh, there's there's also parts of technology that help in storytelling where it it sets uh, the tone, you know, for a world. Uh, you know, you, you you see in Star Trek where you have this very advanced technology, and part of like one of the themes of Star Trek that Gene Roddenberry had was what if technology got so far that we didn't you know, we didn't need the things that we need now. Mm. Um, you know, when you have replicators that can make food for you uh, with very, you know, taking very few resources from you. Um, whereas now, even now, like we're still pretty, we're, we're pretty good at, but it takes a lot of resources for us to get food on our table. Yep. And so that affects our society as a whole. Um, and but, but when, when you move into, well, I can get anything that I want at the push of a button, you know, people call that like moving into a post-scarcity society yeah. where resources aren't scarce anymore. As long as we have unlimited energy via somehow wave our hands and we've got this replicator, well, then why do we need money anymore? Why do we need right. to work? And so that was one of the really interesting things that Star Trek, specifically Next Generation, delved into is like, what would society be like if we didn't have money anymore? Yeah, and even they even kind of doubled down on that idea when they introduced the Ferengi into <laughs> the lore, where yeah. they have this society that's all about money, all about making wealth and whatnot. Uh, so, but that, you know, that did... That was based on the technology that was uh, available to them of that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also have technology can set the theme uh, very easily. In like the Hayao Miyazaki films, we see this uh, technology. My favorite is some of the airplanes that they make, mm-hmm. where they have these gigantic airplanes and they which, with the huge wings. But then on top of the wings, <laughs> they have these these little flaps that like blow air over the wing 
<laughs> and so it it it, it kind of puts you in this feeling of like yeah well we have you know they're thinking and there's engineers in this world that are thinking outside of your box definitely mm-hmm. um but it's also kind of like their box is kind of silly right yeah he he always he always loved have having like mechanical creations with moving parts and yep. almost moving parts that didn't really sort of serve to function but that you're like no there's no way that could work and that looks so funny yeah but it's but it it still doesn't take you out of it. No, it, it, it if anything adds to the world because it makes the world different from yours. Yeah. Uh, in a way that you really enjoy because it makes you think about that. Well, what if uh, instead of, you know, like the Model T Ford, we had huge like steam vats on the back of our cars mm-hmm. so we could use steam power to propel our cars everywhere. Sure. Um, you know, or like, you know... A lot of his technology is also very mechanical, mm-hmm. and so you have like a lot of things that crank and gears that go and yeah. whatnot. Like, what if our Boeing seven forty sevens had gigantic wings that flapped? You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, he also it was not averse to making technology more kind of like to the modern that we know. Like, you know, in Castle in the Sky, there's robots mm-hmm. that. Uh, you kind of, like they never say it, but you kind of like oh they're kind of powered by magic a little bit maybe, <laughs> uh, but they have like internal circuitry and like but they also are kind of uh, androidish in the the fact that they also use like flesh to as part of like the circuitry and whatnot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which side note? There might be a couple side notes. Oh, there's gonna be a lot of side notes in this one. <laughs> uh, did you ever realize that on Voyager, Star Trek Voyager? Yeah. That. A lot of their technology was based off the what they called the biopacks. Do you remember the biopacks? No. So the the premise was is like you know, and, and a lot of stories that are told, and when they talk about technology, they always talk about like that the brain is like always, you know, you can make computers that can hold gigs and gigs of of information, but still not nearly as close as to a, a brain can. Okay. So this biological technology is in function vastly superior to our technology Mm -hmm. but a lot of times is more susceptible to like wear and tear and whatnot so they they have these like hybrids and the only one i can think of right now is voyager where they had these biopacks everywhere so instead Mm -hmm. of like uh junctions where like you have like behind a wall there's like a junction that uh does this certain process and like uh it was like in charge of like the weapon system for Mm -hmm. for voyager whatnot they were all these biopacks, so like the information would be processed biologically instead of mechanically. I never picked up. A, I haven't watched a lot of Voyager, so it, I must have missed it. Yeah, it wasn't like a big deal, but I I remember that huh. it came into contact a lot of times. Um, so I guess that gets onto a well. Okay, let, for a second, let's keep to the theme uh, technology. Sure. Uh, you have steampunk. Yep. It's very popular. Uh, you if. If you get into a world, even if, like, you left the theater for, like, the first 10 minutes of the film, you walk in, there's a guy with, like, uh, like biplane flying goggles on his top hat, mm-hmm. you know, and he has, like, a gun that you've never seen before that has some gears on it for some weird <laughs> reason. You're like, okay, I already understand, like, this world. I already understand, like, what kind of goes on here. You've got, like, this Victorian yeah. era where technology moved in a different direction than what we know it as. Yeah. Uh, and so it's very easy to explain the world to you in that in that aspect. Um, if you're going, if you if you miss the the first ten minutes of the film and you walk back in, 
and there's a bunch of you know uh, displays with uh, not actual like physical buttons, but like touchscreens. Mm-hmm. You know that you're you're doing all this data work and controlling everything with like you you understand that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, a side note again, I, I used to do cable installs for people. And, you know, so you go into everybody's different house and everybody's got different stuff that they do. One guy actually had, so on Star Trek, those, those panels and whatnot, I believe that it was called like the L cars, um, layout. Could be. I think I could be wrong, but this guy made huge panels of like functional, uh, L cars layout like Whoa. that. Yeah. It was pretty cool. I was pretty uh, excited to get What did he do with it? Uh, he, it was kind of in that phase of like, well, I can implement this pretty well, but like, it's still like, I just have these big panels and you know, they're kind of like in my living room right now. Okay. Um, so yeah. they weren't like, you know, controlling anything, but it was still pretty darn cool. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, getting back to what we were talking about. I, that tangent really took me out of it now. <laughs> uh, That's all right. Uh, so getting back. Oh, so leaving 10 minutes, coming back in. Things are described yeah. to you again. If you if you leave for the first ten minutes of Apollo thirteen, and you know you mm. walk in and they're they're already in the spaceship, and you see all these knobs and flips and gizmos and and switches, mm-hmm. you kind of understand the feel, right? And and especially since that's that's technology that we're already familiar with. Yep. Either you know you know we were alive during that era and and we remember back to when technology was like that, or we've just seen that level of technology. Enough that we know, oh, I, I see that knob and switch. I'm transported back to that time and place, and, and I see it. Yep. Uh, you know, of course, we we enjoy when they mix the... Well, like, I guess that's what Steampunk does, is it yeah. mixes modern technology with, like, certain eras. Um, you've got Back to the Future, where there's a time-traveling train. It was Back to the Future 3. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. That, wasn't it powered by, like, colored logs or something like that? Oh, there was something about the colored smoke. What did that? There's something about like a movie that you've only seen once because it was like a sequel and it wasn't that good that you just vaguely remember different parts. They must have been. Th- ah, he must have had some weird chemical compound or something that he was throwing into the train to make it go faster than it should have or something. <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> they had to get up to 88 miles an hour. Yep. Or they were going to be stuck in in the West, in the old <laughs> West, and there wouldn't have been a movie, which we would have been okay with. I think. Right. Um. There's also technology that is a good indicator. So like during when you're telling stories, it sets people apart from others in the film. Hmm. Most obvious uh, example that I can think of is in Star Wars. Anyone who has a lightsaber is either a Sith or a Jedi Mm -hmm. or a Jedi that's secretly a Sith. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Um, And again, like we talked about before, the those kind of technologies also open up for more questions. Mm-hmm. Um, well, why does a Jedi only use a lightsaber? What kind of things align themselves with a lightsaber? Well, their fighting style does. You know, um, it, it the lightsaber is a more graceful tool than the other ones that people use, where it's just blasters and they just blast everything, whatever they can see, um, mm-hmm. even though they miss most of the time. Uh, you know, so like you see like the crude versus versus like the graceful. Um, I'm trying to think of other examples. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've, you've got you even have like different levels of technology and different mm-hmm. levels of polish can can serve to differentiate 
you know, different maybe sides in a conflict or something. Like, yeah. because, I mean, you think back to, this is kind of a silly example, I guess, but uh, Firefly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got, uh, you know, the Imperials, the people on the central core planets who are, you know, very nice, neat, clean, and white, and they've got all the high tech. And then you've got the people out on the rim, like Malcolm Reynolds and his crew of, you know, scavengers Mm -hmm. that i mean just visually looking at the difference in technology and the difference in clothing um you can differentiate them between each other well and you can also kind of show when you're talking about conflicts you can also show sometimes like the underdog versus the 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 oppressor Mm -hmm. um even in nausicaa the valley of the wind the people in the valley like they would have like some flint guns like musket style guns sometimes, but they, uh, you know, they had different swords and whatnot. But then when the other guys come in, they've got big tanks, they've got gunships, you know, everyone's got a, a like a fully automatic on them, you know, and so you can kind of see the power level yeah. between the two. Um, yeah. And, and I think those sorts of stories can really resonate with us, especially now, because I mean, it's, it's kind of the world that we're starting to live in. Mm-hmm. I mean, it used to be like conflicts would always be decided based on who had the bigger army, who had more technology. Yeah. But you start to see how in these days, I mean, I don't want to go too far into this, but how it's not like that anymore. It's mm-hmm. not whoever has the biggest army or the best technology. You've got, you know, conflict and warfare is changing where you've got the underdogs, you've got the insurgent stuff. And so technology plays a way different role there. And it's almost maybe losing its effectiveness at times. Which, uh, yeah. And so I think that when, I think that also leads to us enjoying fiction more because fiction kind of brings us back to things that we understand, like things that aren't mm-hmm. constantly changing, something that's yeah. something that we understand is established. Uh, we also see a lot of times technology, though, will just what we talked about in the beginning, where it's kind of just window dressing. Yeah, uh, it just kind of where you realize, especially a lot of these like sci-fi, like space-based ones, like even Star Wars, you could you could pretty much say that Star Wars could just actually just happen on a planet, mm-hmm. you know, by itself. And you can make the whole storyline work. Yeah, the the plot you could have happen very similarly and tell the same sort type of story. Right, and I was thinking about that with Firefly as well. Like, if you think about each specific episode, for the most part, they could just happen. Like, if if the if the Firefly characters were just like a a, a nomadic gang, like just traveling from town to town, mm-hmm. you know, which I think probably lends itself to most of like the episodic type shows sure yeah you know you can just put them wherever right and 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 i think that goes to show the strength of firefly isn't necessarily about its setting or the technology or the visuals or anything it's really about the characters and their interactions that's what made firefly so great because there were such deep well-written characters um with really good dialogue yeah they yeah they could have put that totally like going from like town to town uh, that we know, and we would have still been on board because mm-hmm. we just loved how the characters reacted to everybody, right. each other, how they uh, solved problems in different ways, mm-hmm. um, how they were wise cracking till the end. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. And, but, you know, so what we see is a lot of times we see these these technologies kind of used all different kinds of ways in the shows. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I like... 
I know I've said this multiple times already, but I like when the technology asks new questions hmm. that would have never been asked. Um, a lot of, uh, like in Star Trek, in the Next Generation series, there was an android named Data mm-hmm. who was created by a man, had an artificial intelligence, but was all circuitry, all mm-hmm. robotics. And throughout that series, they always ask different questions of what that means, how how he reflects on humanity and how he interacts with humanity and how he makes humanity reflect on themselves. Um, you know, always the fun little, little parts where they're doing just normal human experiences, but now they have to explain it to the robot, <laughs> to the Android. Yeah. And you're like, well, it's just cause, okay. Like that's just what we do. <laughs> um, but, but, the, but then it's, it's an excuse and a reason to delve deep into, well, what does it really mean to be human? Mm-hmm. Why do we do what we do? Um, and, and that technology of having an android who's not human um, can bring into stark relief what humanity is all about. Yeah. And I think a good example of that as well is with the iRobots. Um, so you read the books. Yeah. Do you remember the three laws? Yes. Why don't you say? Why don't you tell us the three right. laws? Yeah. So uh, the the first law is um, a robot uh, may not uh, harm uh, another human or through inaction allow a human to come to harm. Yep. So that's the first law. That's the most important. It it you know basically does that above everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then oh man, uh, drawing a blank here. So the second one I think is. Um, uh, a robot. Oh man, I'm losing my nerd cred right now. I think it's that um, a robot um, uh, must follow the actions of a human unless it conflicts with the first law. You want me to just actually read them for yeah, you? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I failed. Ah, oh, that's okay. I Pat. failed. We we forgive you. Uh, so the first law of robotics, a robot may not injure a human being or through an action, allow a human being to become, uh, to come to harm. So you got the first one, right? Good job. Gold star. Thank you. Uh, number two, a robot must obey the orders given to it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. Okay. I did get that one. Yep. And the third one is a robot must protect its own existence. As long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. Mm-hmm. So, uh, these are very interesting things because these reflect on what we think of ourselves, like some of the basic rules that we abide by. Mm. And in the film, I know the film is different than the books, uh, cause it's a totally different story. Yeah. Uh, but in the film, the main character is conflicted because he had an experience where the car, I think like went off a bridge into a lake or something like that. Mm-hmm. Robot comes to save him over the, the girl that was in the car with him. Yeah. And it was because of like the, the decision making tree that the robot had to go through it was very um, static. It was always going to be the same. He was going to make the same decision every single time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, based on the, the, the data that he had. But we know that normally we would probably save the little girl before we would save the big burly guy mm-hmm. in the front seat. Yeah. And so that, that shows like the conflict not conflict, but like yeah. the the ideas that go on in our head. Yeah, and and those are really interesting because it's not those aren't just academic questions. I mean, mm-hmm. they show up in real life. Yeah, I mean, the question of saving someone's life. You know, trauma surgeons have to deal with that all the time, or someone in a battle situation. You have to triage right. who's 
I can't save everyone. Who am I going to save? Who has the most likely, um, you know, chance of survival? Mm-hmm. So you have to have those laws in your mind. And so sci-fi can help us deal with those things. Yeah. Um, or even uh, you hear in the news recently um, about how Google and many other companies are testing out self-driving cars. Mm. And what's really interesting, and I've heard this in several um, of the news articles I've I've read, is people are trying to figure out the ethics of what happens there. Well, number one, if you get in a crash, who's responsible? Right. Um, but secondly, okay, I'm programming a car. Um, how do, what, what actions do I tell it to take when it gets into a crash? Mm-hmm. Because you can, you can prioritize different things. So if I'm, if I'm programming my self-driving car, do I have it take the action that's going to save me above everything else? Or do I have it take the action where it's going to, minimize the you know damage to the cars at most or there are like a number of different ways that you can prioritize what that machine is going to do in that situation Mm -hmm. and so it's really interesting that um well number one that asimov was thinking about these things well well before they would ever you know be a practical issue that would have to solve um and it allows us a, a way to work through those things in kind of a safe environment of fiction to figure out what is the best way to act. Which is, I think, a a big pull for a lot of people who like science fiction Mm -hmm. is there's been so many different instances where the the people who have imagined these worlds and and made up these these things is that they've they've been generations beyond what technology actually is for them right now. Mm -hmm. Um of course, the best example is we have sliding doors now, Pat. <laughs> we do. Have you realized this? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is amazing how many like um, like consumer electronic things have come out of Star Trek because mm-hmm. you've got the communicators turned into flip phones yep. from the original Star Trek. You've got Trek. tablets. Yeah, next generation, the data pads turned into tablets. Yep. The sliding doors from the original show. It's- Which I would have. I think one of my if I could have like grow, grown up like been an adult when they started making that, I think one of the best gigs ever would have been one of the sliding door guys. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I, I just let Jean-Luc Picard onto the bridge. Thank you very much. Um, I think another aspect of this is technology sometimes is used in fiction to show the contrast of... Uh, so, like, you know, you see a lot of, like, these modern cities with tall buildings, mm. people all packed in there. Um, and you start seeing like the side of that where like, it's kind of, you know, it kind of like takes away like your, not your humanity, but like some kind of connection that you had with the world Mm. because you're like living in this big technology city. Everything's artificial. Yeah. Uh, and then you, you flip it over to now you're out in the country Yeah. and it's just like a house just isolated on a nice grassy hill. Yeah. Trees all around and you're just like, yeah, I'm connected to that. So here's another reason why Isaac Asimov is awesome because he dealt with this. Did he? Um, in, uh, specifically in the, uh, Elijah Bailey robot novels. Okay. Three novels. So he's got the iRobot short stories, but, um, then he turned his robot idea into three novels. And one of the, the main premises in the book is that, um, well, humans have kind of split off into, to two different factions. Okay. There are the humans that remained on earth. So there are the earthlings Mm -hmm. and then there are the spacers, the, the people from earth who went out to, to colonize all of the other planets in the galaxy. 
and they've gone on two different paths and they're almost they're almost two different species by mm-hmm. that point because the spacers have done well they've done some genetic alteration they live forever and they're like they're the rugged individualists you know i live on my world yeah almost to the point of there's one planet where they va- they value their independence so much that they basically have a phobia about human contact mm-hmm. because they're on this sparsely you know populated planet right um and they're just by themselves all the time, and they just talk to each other over the TV rather than being in... They have this, like, revulsion about physical contact. Again, almost telling about the future. Yeah. But then you've got the other side of you've got um, humanity that stayed on Earth. It's so overcrowded that you've got these massive cities. Yeah. Um, and these these massive cities are so huge, and they're all self-contained, that no one ever actually goes outside. Um, okay. So they're packed in like sardines. You're in massive crowds all the time in in air conditioned environments your whole life. That um, you know, sort of spoiler alert, but not really. That when Elijah Bailey um, needs to go to another planet um, to try to um, uh, solve uh, some crimes or whatever, sure. Um, that he has a panic attack and a phobia about stepping outside yeah. about, about being an open space that he's never experienced before. Um, and it's these things about technology that can kind of, well, investigate some of those things and um, some of the, maybe the extreme outcomes of different ways of doing life in cities and, you know, living. Well, and definitely how we interact with each other at, at, at least. Yeah. Um, you know, there was that I don't remember what the movie was, but there was that old Bruce Willis film where everyone was just like in their own little pod and then they had robotic bodies oh, yeah. to go out into the the world and interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh and it explored that a little bit. It wasn't the film wasn't done right enough so like a lot I don't think a lot of people watched that. But I I, th- I know I saw it and it asked those you know, those kind of questions. Um more recently w- there's the film her Mm. which asks the question like well how do like if we have you know artificial intelligence enough that we start interacting with them on a more intimate level what does that look like Mm. you know how is that um and there's so many questions that go along with that yeah uh so i thought that was a an interesting film to watch i don't don't think you saw it no i didn't but but I, i definitely like that idea of of understanding how is technology changing us yeah um i'm uh, you've probably heard me say this before, and I'm kind of a fan of saying it, but we're already sort of turning into androids a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've got my cell phone. It's actually called Android, um, yep. <laughs> and I use it as an extension of my mind. Yeah. Um, you know, just as pen and paper is, you know, can be an extension of your memory, so you can write something down so you don't forget it in your mind. Right. That's really augmenting your memory. Like our smartphones these days, we have at our fingertips all of human knowledge, basically. Mm-hmm. And so that changes the way that we act and interact with the world. We, it can almost stifle creativity and discussion and debate because we're we may discuss something and argue about something and i'm like well i'll just google it and find the answer it's like no work it out for yourself like work through that rather than just looking for the answer right away right i mean i i've gotten frustrated with different groups of people yeah where i ask questions they're like well you can just google i'm like no 
we're not Googling anything. We're going to talk about it right now. <laughs> and yeah, it definitely stifled some like curiosity and discussions amongst people. Um, thankfully, I think that if we use the technology and we, and there's a lot of people who do, who use technology to ask the questions farther and farther ahead. Right. That allows us to be able to discuss more and be more curious. Yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing as long as we keep answering uh, yeah, as long as we keep asking questions and delving further. Mm-hmm. I mean, the great thing about having so much information at our fingertips is we don't need to um, independently rediscover information over and over again that other people have done. Right. Ideally, what we can do is we can stand on their shoulders and start asking new questions rather than having everyone you know, independently coming up with their own answers to what's already been solved which kind of uh is shown in the contrast between like the tv series star trek where they're exploring constantly pushing out farther and Mm -hmm. farther asking new and exciting questions yeah uh and the movie wally where (laughs) yes the technology has handed everything to them they're like well yeah this is what i need so i'm just gonna sit here and drink a pizza shake and everything else is taken care of right Mm -hmm. uh and and it's interesting because the technology is the same but it's it's the choice of humanity. It's yep. like, what what path are we going to go down? Yep. You know, we can just stay the way we are and be lazier and lazier, or we can keep searching for more new knowledge and things and whatever. And I think that's the uh, that's the real question that we're going to leave our audience with today. Yeah. Uh, we'll end up the show with the phrase of the day, which we do every time. And once I pull it up, that is not it. There we go. I got it. Okay. Uh, so the phrase of the day is, oh, it's raining cats and dogs out there. <laughs> uh, I wish we had a little bit more rain lately instead of all this fog. But yeah. um, I really enjoy a good thunderstorm. I do, too. So the uh, one of the so there's two ideas of where this came from. Uh, the first one is very simple. Just that a storm sounds like cats and dogs fighting. Uh, really? I'm not the one making this premise. I'm just saying some people think that that's the origin of where this came from. I'm going to call shenanigans on that. I will I will meet right there with you and call <laughs> shenanigans on that. Okay. Uh, the second one is from Norse mythology, hmm. uh, where they believe that, like, uh, witches that cause storms, you know, because... Well, here's the thing. <laughs> In fiction, how come storms are always bad? Oh, Interesting. They're always negative. I think, and I think that a lot of other authors think this as well and have used it as storm is like a, a way of bringing change to something. Um, hmm. You know, wipe away the old, bring in the new. Okay, I can see uh, that. But I think a lot of times people view it as very negative. Like, oh, a storm is a coming. We got to hunker down. We got to get out of here or something like yeah. that. You know? I mean, there are dangerous aspects to this storm. True, you know, true. Lightning could cause damage. The wind could blow over your house or something. But you know what, Pat? Bringing change to your life is always going to be dangerous, but it's a good thing. Mm. Ah, yeah. Uh. So the uh, so the witches who ride cats in North mythology uh, are the ones who bring in the storms, and they're trying to fight against uh, the Norse god who... I don't remember what his name is, but his, whenever he's talked about, he's talked about being surrounded by wolves or dogs. Mm. So you've got this raining cats and dogs, this conflict. Interesting. The yeah. gods are fighting. And so cats and dogs are flying everywhere. Yeah. A lot of, you know, <laughs> and that's why, that's why it sounds like that. Okay. So that's our phrase of the day, Pat. Interesting. Um, 
we'd like to thank you guys for listening to our podcast. If you have any comments or uh, have a little bit more in-depth uh, knowledge into the Norse, Norse god of storms and their witches riding cats, uh, you can email us at neverendingnarrative at gmail.com or you can tweet at us at nenarrative or you can tweet at me at Matthew J. Yeager. And uh, no one's found Pat yet. <laughs> Come on, someone find me. Uh, I don't know where I am. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I'll find out before you do because I don't even think you remember your sign-in info, do you? Oh, no, I, I, I read the Twitters. Oh, do you? I okay. do, okay. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, we're just waiting for someone to, to get over at Pat. Uh, but yeah, thanks again for listening guys and have yourselves a great week.